Monday, the 27th of November, as we come off of the Thanksgiving holiday and the Feast of Christ the King, let's pray together in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Blessed be the God of our salvation. You have brought all things into being. We, your creatures, thank you. You have made us in your image and redeemed us in your love. We, your children, thank you. You have destined us for everlasting life in your presence. We, your people, Thank you. O God, the giver of all good gifts, our desire to praise you is itself a blessing that you have bestowed upon us. We cannot offer you anything that you do not already have, except our love, which we render to you in worship and in service to all whom you redeem in Jesus Christ. Grant us glad gratitude in him, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God forever and ever. Amen. It is a better way to start a fresh week after a uh, kind of hectic one, but hopefully a joyful one, maybe a little peaceful. If you are uh, like me, you're tired, but you're kind of good tired, right? It's uh, There's a lot that happens when you uh, scatter across the country and regather after all that fun Thanksgiving stuff, and now we head towards the first week of Advent. It is on now. It is the Sunrise Morning Show. I'm Matt Swain. Anna Mitchell has news. Paul Lockman at the controls. Travis has our video feed up and running in the show notes at sunrisemorningshow.com. We're going to take a look at This Week in Catholic History with Kevin Schmeezing, as we do to kick off every week. Dr. Jeffrey Morrow is part of the Ascension Press Catholic Guide to the Old Testament. We are in 2nd Maccabees already. We've been plowing through uh, the uh, Old Testament with Dr. Morrow. Father John Gavin will talk about St. Irenaeus on the Eucharist and the Resurrection in our ongoing series with him on how the Church Fathers are quoted in the Catechism. And then Dr. Matthew Bunsen will discuss the latest involving the Holy Father and the German bishops. So please do stay with us if you can. Right now it is two minutes past. Here's Anna Mitchell with news. Good morning. Results are negative from a CAT scan performed on Pope Francis over the weekend. The Vatican press office said the Pope had a slight flu-like condition and the CAT scan was taken to rule out any issues with his lungs. The Holy Father did cancel his Saturday audiences and delivered his Sunday Angelus address from the chapel in his residence instead of at St. Peter's Square and an aide was the one who read it out. Those who gathered in St. Peter's Square watched the address on a jumbo screen television. The Pope is scheduled to attend this weekend's COP28 conference on climate change in Dubai. The Holy Father, who turns 87 on December 17th, was last hospitalized for a few days in late March due to a respiratory infection. During his Angelus address yesterday, the Holy Father reiterated his prayers for the Holy Land and for Ukraine. Meanwhile, a young Israeli-American child is among the hostages being reunited with family members now after being released on the third day of a ceasefire in the Israel-Hamas war. Mark Mayfield has the story. 
President Biden confirmed four-year-old Abigail Edan arrived safely back in Israel on Sunday in exchange for Palestinian prisoners. Speaking to reporters in Nantucket, Massachusetts, Biden said he's hopeful a four-day truce can be extended so all of the hostages, including other Americans, can safely return to their families. I'm Mark Mayfield. Memorial services for First Lady Rosalind Carter are set to begin today. The former First Lady will lie in repose in the lobby of the Jimmy Carter Presidential Library in Atlanta for members of the public to pay their respects. Rosalind Carter's funeral will be held Wednesday in Plains, Georgia, where she will be buried at the family residence. President Biden and First Lady Jill Biden will be attending the service in Georgia on Tuesday at Emory University. The wife of former President Jimmy Carter passed away earlier this month at the age of 96. Back to the Angelus Address, Pope Francis reflected on the Feast of Christ the King. From Vatican Radio, Thaddeus Jones reports. In his prepared remarks, read by Monsignor Paolo Bride of the Secretary of State, the Pope recalled when the Gospel speaks to us about the final judgment, telling us it will be based on our care for one another through charity and mercy. Il Vangelo ci parla del giudizio finale. Recalling the scene described in the Gospel of a great hall where Jesus is seated on a throne and all the peoples of the world are gathered at his feet, he said, the blessed are shown to be friends of the king. They're the ones who fed the hungry, took care of the sick and needy, and visited prisoners. Indeed, the criteria of Jesus, the Pope said, places importance on those serving the needy, the weakest, those who need our help. And this is because the Son of Man is a completely different king who calls the poor brethren, who identifies with the hungry, the thirsty, the outsiders, the sick, the imprisoned, and says, as you did it to one of the least of these my brethren, you did it to me. The Pope said the gospel underscores that the blessed are those who show loving mercy through their service to people needing our help and companionship, by not ignoring them or turning them away, but by providing food, drink, clothing, shelter, and accompaniment. They're the friends of the king as they distinguish themselves by following his example through compassion, mercy, and tenderness. The Pope in his reflections recommended we examine our own lives and how much we recognize and believe in the centrality of mercy, the power of love, how charity is indispensable for believers, and if we are a friend of the king in being personally involved in the needs of the suffering people we find on our path. In conclusion, he said, may Mary, Queen of Heaven and Earth, help us to love Jesus, our King, in the least of our brethren. I'm Thaddeus Jones. Parts of the country are seeing cold weather as people head home from the Thanksgiving holiday weekend. In the Great Lakes region, below average temperatures will trigger lake effect snow and travel could be dangerous in parts of the Midwest into the Northeast. Heavy rain is also possible along the Gulf Coast and Mid-Atlantic into New England. And it's what they call Cyber Monday today. Everybody's back to work and shopping for deals online at work for huge discounts. Analysts say, though, beware of scams and do your research. If you want to purchase something and don't know much about the company, Google the name and type scam or research after it or contact the Better Business Bureau. Okay. Always got to be vigilant if you're looking for those deals. Some of them yes, you do. might be too good to be true. So I don't ever go – okay, so none of these people are sponsors of the Sunrise Morning Show. So this is all free pub. Actually, it's I, I don't know that it's going to show every single one of these companies in a good light. But I was coming <laughs> home, so we did Thanksgiving in East Tennessee, and then we uh, the next morning set back out 
to uh, to head eastward towards uh, where I live these days. Mm-hmm. And uh, as we're passing through Bristol, you know, home of Bristol Motor Speedway, oh, there's yeah, a Bass yeah. Pro off the exit. And we're like, oh, we should stop at Bass Pro, see if anything's cool going on today. I forgot that it's Black Friday. Oh, you ever boy. been in Bass Pro oh, on a Black Matt, Friday, Anna Mitchell? Matt, Matt. I got wow. this flannel. So, uh, and well, then, that's nice. You look great. And then we went further on and decided we were going to stop somewhere in Virginia. They just happened to have like an outlet, you know, mm-hmm. nearby. And we're like, we got to get dinner somewhere. And I had forgotten in all my hours on the road in between that it was still Black Friday. Oh, Matt. So uh went into an Orvis and an L.L. Bean, did not buy anything because I already got my flannel. Yeah. But uh, nice yeah, I managed flannel. to be in a, in a Bass Pro, an Orvis, and an L.L. Bean on Black Friday without meaning to do either one of those three things. I did not go shopping. It's better for you. At all. Until I... I bought gas on Black Friday. Oh, neat. Count. Yeah, that's good. Gas and a flannel. Gas and a flannel. Not bad. Not bad at all. I mean... I don't need much. Cyber Monday, I don't need much anything at all. I've been I've been getting blasted, but uh, of course, Giving Tuesday is tomorrow, yeah, I and I know that say. the Sunrise Morning Show is someone you if you're if you're up every morning listening to us, then I hope you. Uh, if you're here this early with us, please make a gift for on Giving Tuesday. Bear in mind that your local Catholic radio station also runs on listener support, as does EWTN. So yep. keep that in mind. It's nine minutes past the hour. Let's take a look at This Week in Catholic History with Kevin Schmeising. He's the author of A Catholic Pilgrimage Through American History. Kevin, good morning. Good morning, Matt. Let's start off with some Carmelite history. Some Carmelite history. It's a chapter of church history that lies at the intersection of the lives of two well-known saints. The reform of the Carmelite order this week in 1568. Mount Carmel is in Palestine. It's the spot where Jewish tradition holds The showdown occurred between the prophet Elijah and the prophets of the false god Baal. During the crusading period in the 12th century, a group of pilgrims formed a community there, and that developed into the order of Mount Carmel, the Carmelites. As the crusaders retreated, the Carmelites returned to Europe, and they spread there, including in Spain, where Teresa of Jesus entered the convent at Avila in 1535. Teresa was convinced... Sorry. Teresa was convinced that the order had strayed from its original spirit and so determined to restore its focus on discipline and prayer. The reformed branch of the order would be known as discalced, meaning without shoes. They wore sandals. She founded a reformed house for women in 1562, and a year later, St. John of the Cross joined the men's order. After he was ordained in 1567, he met St. Teresa, who inspired him to undertake a similar reform. So on November 28th, this week in 1568, John and another friar founded the first Reformed House for Men, which developed into the separate order of discalced Carmelites, and so this date is often seen as the founding of the new order. St. Teresa and St. John faced an array of challenges within the Carmelites and the church more generally, but they managed to weather the storms. Both of them became canonized saints, of course, but also great mystics and doctors of the church. The discalced Carmelites spread around the world. Today, there are about 4,000 friars and 12,000 nuns, including in the United States, where they have houses from Boston to Colorado to, appropriately enough, Carmel, California. The discalced Carmelites, this week, 1568. All right, since you mentioned California, you got to head over to the other big state, Texas, and mention some history related to there. 
Yeah, Matt, uh, this one has an entire chapter in my book, but I'll give you the short version of the story. Uh, it's the dedication of St. Mary's Cathedral in Galveston, Texas, this week in 1848. There were Franciscan missions in Texas as early as the 1600s, but the status of the church there was unstable in the face of hostility from natives and then strife between Anglo settlers and Hispanic residents. Texas rebelled and achieved independence from Mexico in the 1830s, at which point French priests coming from the U.S. began working in the region. One of those was Jean-Marie Odin, who would become the first bishop of the new diocese of Galveston in 1847. The Church of St. Mary was the first church in Galveston. That's an island city in the Gulf of Mexico. Odin had himself paid most of the cost for the original modest wood frame structure, but <clears throat> with the establishment of the new diocese, and the continued growth of the local church, there was quickly need for a new building. So construction began in 1847, half a million bricks to make a grand cruciform Gothic edifice. Overcoming financial and weather obstacles, the structure arose in due course, and the Cathedral of St. Mary was dedicated by Bishop Odin on November 26, this week in 1848. In a letter after the ceremony, he wrote, This building, which gave me so much anxiety, will, I hope, contribute to the strengthening and the propagation of the faith. In 1878, a statue of Mary, Star of the Sea, was added to one of the cathedral's three towers. By that time, Odin was gone. He died during the First Vatican Council in 1870. I think we may have uh, lost our feed there. Ah, well, it happens. Hopefully, uh, you heard a lot of things related to history to carry you through on a Monday morning. Well, why don't we check on weather for the nation? let you know what's happening in this uh, last several days before we kick off the Advent season. Rain showers lingering up and, I'm sorry, areas of low pressure will continue to move through the northern half of the nation where snow, mixed precipitation and rain will fall across the Great Lakes and northeast states. Lake effect snow will continue through the day in northern Wisconsin, Michigan, eastern Ohio, as well as the high country of West Virginia and western PA. A mix of rain and snow will hit New York, Vermont, northern New Hampshire, and northern Maine. Otherwise, rain falls along the New England coastline during the morning hours. Behind all that, the rest of the U.S. stays dry and calm as high pressure dominates the west. However, at the south tip of Texas, a few isolated rain showers cannot be ruled out as we head toward the evening. We got headlines coming up with Anna Mitchell right after this. It's 14 minutes past the hour. Support is for MediShare. Let's see, if something costs less, but people are happier with it, that sounds like something to look into, and that is MediShare. Maybe you've heard switching to MediShare to pay for healthcare can save many families up to 500 bucks a month, and that is huge. But it's also true that people are way more satisfied after making the switch, too. The member satisfaction rate for MediShare is double that of the typical health insurance plan. Double. MediShare works, too. It's been around for 30 years. Members have shared more than $5 billion of each other's bills. People love having telehealth and a huge nationwide PPO network. So, yeah, really, you can save a ton and like it better. Imagine being happy with how you're taking care of your health care. So if you're self-employed or part of the gig economy or you just want to plan you're happy with. You can call right now. You'll get a price within two minutes. So see what you can say. This is a very, very smart use of two minutes. Here's the number you need. Call 844-55-BIBLE. That's 844-55-BIBLE. 844-55-BIBLE. Business owners are starting to think outside the box to find new customers. 
you can reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners by underwriting The Sunrise Morning Show. Each weekday morning, listeners across the U.S. and around the globe can hear your message for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on The Sunrise Morning Show. To find out how it works, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah at sacredheartradio.com. Have you ever wished you could listen to EWTN on a local radio station? Maybe our Lord is speaking to your heart to help make that happen. Don't let a lack of experience hold you back. Find out how you can help start a Catholic radio station where you live. Powered by the truth of the church and EWTN's dynamic radio programming. Email Steve at this address, radio at EWTN.com. 16 minutes past the hour, here's Anna Mitchell with headlines. The Holy See press director says Pope Francis has no fever and is clearly improving from flu-like symptoms over the weekend. During his Angelus address yesterday, the Holy Father reiterated his prayers for the Holy Land and for Ukraine. And President Biden says he's talking with leaders in the Middle East in an effort to extend a four-day ceasefire in the Holy Land War. News at the top and bottom of each hour every weekday morning here on the Sunrise Morning Show. Anna Mitchell, it's always kind of weird that week between Christ the King. Yeah, it's still ordinary time, technically. Advent, because we've technically got a few more days, Mm -hmm. even though we sort of closed out the liturgical year, like, with a blast yesterday. um, We still got a couple of days to sort of linger until we really hit Saturday afternoon. Yeah. And lock into Advent. But what this means is that I feel like we've got more time to prep and think. Well, it's time to buy your Advent, Advent. candles. Right. Um, Don't forget. And this is like one of the few times where you can really do an Advent like wreath workshop or something. And it makes like the timing works really well because yeah. you want to have the timing to where you've got the candles before Advent starts. But often if you try and pull it off on a Thanksgiving weekend, people all all over the place because you know that Saturday can be a big travel day mm-hmm. where people are gone. Mm-hmm. So you got an opportunity here. Yeah. Uh, so, but, but I would say that no matter what, if you can, do the home Advent candle thing. I know they're going to do it up front in the church. Sometimes they pick up a different family to light it each week. Sometimes, you know, there's there's different ways that different parishes do it. But I'd say if you've got the opportunity and the access. To put one at your house, even if it's just you, uh, it's worth doing the Advent calendar, or the Advent wreath, rather, at the table. Uh, but especially if you've got little kids, and we talked mm-hmm. about this with, with a couple different guests so far, yep. um, the opportunity to light things on fire every single night always, is pretty great. Always a great thing. Always a great thing. And it's neat, too, to be able to have that time with your kids to talk about what that means as you see the light constantly grow and and this anticipation that you can have when you're seeing the the one purple candle are you want to do you um do you light the same purple candle like if you do it let's say you do it at dinner time right yes and so do you light the same purple candle every night of the oh, first advent week one of advent? is advent one right the whole time Advent two is Advent two. The pink one's the pink one. The whole so time. So that like, you have well, of course, the pink so it's down one. to like a like a nub. Like yeah, exactly. 
And but, and I think the the anticipation in doing that. Oh, Paul's yelling rose in my ear instead oh, of pink. Yeah. That's Paul right. Paul Lachman, the, the liturgical rose. purist. So the uh, the other <laughs> the other thing I was just going to say is you know we're going to come up with we're going to share tons and tons. We already have shared several of like really cool and creative things that you can do as a family mm-hmm. uh, to help get your kids into Advent, and those are all great. And I'm you know going to do you know, some things that I've never tried before. But if you're like really intimidated by all that stuff, you don't have to complicate it. No. You know, if people are like, what's what what can I do? What can I do? Like literally buy four candles and like let your kids have access to fire. Yeah. Every night yeah. before you eat. You You'd don't even surprised. need a wreath wreath. Like I don't have no, a, you can just an do like actual a, wreath. You can I buy one of those metal circles with four holes in it. Yeah. I just use candlesticks. Yeah, you, you can put, get you just four candlesticks. Um, last year, actually, because I was a little late in buying my Advent mm-hmm. candles, I bought um, I bought three purple and one pink in like, their own or... little glass jars. You know? Oh, you can do that too, like yeah. the votives. Yeah, or you can do like three you. purple pillar candles and a pink pillar candle. Yeah, and just stick them in the middle of the table. You got a craft store in your in your neighborhood. Yeah. Put them on a plate so that the wax doesn't do it up. Yeah, you don't have to do it. Crazy. But please try and do it. Donors are starting to think outside the box to find new customers. You can reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Each weekday morning, listeners across the U.S. and around the globe can hear your message for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show. To find out how it works, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah at sacredheartradio.com. I'm Father Timothy Shear, and these are Biblical Impressions. Family values is a phrase we are all very familiar with. Of course, the early church had family values, too. We can see this from Acts of the Apostles, where we actually meet several generations of a family that Luke held in high esteem. Timothy worked by Paul's side for a long time, joining the apostle during the second missionary journey to Asia Minor. Timothy's family, at least the women in his family, were also Christian and apparently well-known in the early church. Paul preserves their names for us. Timothy's mother was Eunice, and his grandmother was Lois. We get no further description of Eunice and Lois, but we do get to see them through their son and grandson. Timothy's dedication to the church, his unrelenting work for the truth, his preaching of the gospel, and his love of the Lord. So although we cannot see Eunice and Lois, physically we can see them faith-wise through their son. What a beautiful example of family values. For Sacred Heart Radio, I'm Father Timothy Shear. It's time for our weekly Old Testament Bible study here on the Sunrise Morning Show using a Catholic guide to the Old Testament from Ascension Press. You can find it at ascensionpress.com slash Old Testament. Pick up a copy 
for yourself. And back with us now is one of the contributors, Dr. Jeffrey Morrow. Good morning, Dr. Morrow. Good morning. It's great to be here. It is great to have you back. And we spoke last time about the first book of Maccabees. So this time around, we are on to the second book of Maccabees. If you have a Protestant Bible, this one is not in it. Um, But how does this relate to the first book of Maccabees? Well, it's a great question. So Second Maccabees covers some of the same history of First Maccabees with a little bit of a different focus. First Maccabees covers the entire Maccabean revolt against the Greek, um, kind of from a somewhat of a disinterested perspective. It's it's um it's kind of just trying to explain what happened. Whereas Second Maccabees focuses on a small section of that history with Judas Maccabeus and the revolt and the rededication of the temple and the persecution of the Jews, with a focus on the importance of following God in the temple and the liturgy. So the guide tells me that Second Maccabees was written by a different author uh, than First Maccabees. What clues do we have to indicate that? Well, the fact that it's written in a different way. So, for example, Second Maccabees is actually the only book of the Old Testament where the author or editor... Um, speaks directly to the reader, okay? And so what, what, he, what he tells us is that he is redacting or editing a much larger history that Jason has written. So there's a much larger history that was written of, of the event, and his editor is giving, in a sense, an inspired account, a summation of the what's most important, focusing on the temple. So that kind of gives you a clue that this is a little bit different than First Maccabees. Does that larger history exist today? Do we have... It? We do not know of that. There are other books of Maccabees. There's a fourth Maccabees, for example, that um, has some of the some of the same stories that you have here, and it's much larger. And there are some Orthodox Christians who use that, but this is a bit this is different. So we don't actually do not have the five volume massive work that he uh, describes at the outset. Okay. No. So um, as we dive into the second book of Maccabees to get. To get a handle on it, what uh, remind us of of who the main characters are that we sure. that we meet here, and and kind of take take us through the story that we get from from Second Maccabees. Sure thing. I would say I mean, there's a lot of different characters that come up. I think Judas Maccabeus. The same characters are kind of some of the same major ones you had in First Maccabees. I and mean, I would highlight Judas Maccabeus, um, um, who I grew up with. You know, calling Judah Maccabees. I grew up Jewish, so even though know, this yeah. book is not used in um, the Jewish. In Jewish scriptures, it is actually used in Jewish tradition. Hmm. And Antiochus IV, Antiochus Epiphanes, who set himself up as a divine ruler, kind of the appearance of God, if you will. Um, those are kind of two of the big, the big figures that you have. But there's also some little figures that, that occur that you don't have in First Maccabees. One is an unnamed woman who watches her seven sons get tortured hmm. and killed for the faith. And she kind of expresses her own faith in the resurrection. And the other is Eliezer, whom we heard about today actually at Mass. It's the first reading for Mass for today. Eliezer is a holy Jewish man. He's a scribe. And he was refusing to break God's law. They're trying to force him to eat pork. And he refuses. He's even suggested to, you know, pretend. But he refuses so as not to give scandal. And he loses his life. Um, So those are some of the main characters we see. The basic book opens up with two letters that are written, and then we have this detailed history of a very small section of uh, what was covered in First Maccabees, where we hear about the, just the encouragement to celebrate the feast of Hanukkah, the feast of the rededication of the temple, 
um, for the Jewish people, celebrating God's miraculous restoration of the temple, um, against the odds, really, and the importance of celebrating fidelity to God. You mentioned that you grew up Jewish, and so yes. this was not in in your scriptures, which I think right. is why Martin Luther rejected it um, when exactly he decided right. to, uh, you know, take a look I, at what books were what books he believed belonged in in the Bible. Can you talk about you? But you said that it was part of your tradition. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Yes, certainly. So as a kid, we would read stories. These are not like, they're not um, official stories, but they would be stories that would be read children's books about the Maccabean revolt, all coming from first and second Maccabees. And Hanukkah, of course, is a very important festival. We usually hear about the Talmudic story about the oil, the miracle of the oil, which is not in the books of Maccabees. But the rest of it is coming right out of first and second Maccabees. Ethiopian Jews to this day use these texts as scripture, but most Jews descended from Europe do not. Um, and Luther, yeah, so Luther, he didn't like Second Maccabees at all, because you have this, this praying on behalf of the dead, and the mm-hmm. dead can help us, that sort of thing. Um, but he did like some of the Deuterocanon. He really loved, really loved the book of Judith, that all Christians should read it, just he didn't think it was inspired. Interesting. Okay, so what are the major themes that we can glean from Second Maccabees as we're reading through it? Sure, sure. I would say the focus on the temple, that there's a real emphasis that this whole history, it's not that everything the Maccabees are doing is right. In fact, their claim to rulership doesn't fit what comes before. They're Levites, right? They're not of the tribe of Judah. Um, the killing of the Jews in the in first Maccabees, for example, who weren't following the laws, not necessarily embraced. You don't really have any discussion of that here in second Maccabees. But the point really is that we need to guard, in a sense, the liturgy, that the liturgy is where we have this special privileged encounter with God, and some truths are worth dying for, right? Mm. That Eliezer not only wants to follow God's law to the point of death, but he doesn't want to cause scandal, even if he himself is not going to break God's law. He doesn't want people to think that he is, and then think that it's okay. Here's this old man that has a good reputation for being holy, he doesn't want to lead the faithful astray. I think those are the big themes. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Jeffrey Morrow. Half past the hour now on the Sunrise Morning Show. It's time for news. Pope Francis is, quote, clearly improving from flu-like symptoms over the weekend. That's according to Matteo Bruni, the director of the Holy See Press Office. In his latest update earlier today, Bruni said, quote, the Pope is in a good and stable condition. He has no fever and his respiratory situation is clearly improving, end quote. He confirmed as well that the Holy Father did undergo a CT scan over the weekend, which ruled out pneumonia but showed pulmonary inflammation that caused some breathing difficulties. The Holy Father canceled his Saturday audiences and had an aide read his Sunday Angelus address from the chapel at his residence in the Casa Santa Marta instead of in St. Peter's Square, Those gathered in the square watched his address on a jumbo screen. He told them, quote, today I cannot look out of the window because I have this problem of inflammation in my lungs. The reflection will be read by Monsignor Brida, who knows them well, because it is he who writes them and he always does them so well. He said, thank you very much for your presence, end quote. In his address, the Holy Father reiterated his prayers for the Holy Land and for Ukraine as well. 
From Vatican Radio, Christopher Wells reports. Pope Francis led the Angelus from his residence at Casa Santa Marta as he continues to deal with flu-like symptoms that have kept him from a number of his scheduled appointments. The Pope's Gospel Reflection and Post-Angelus Appeals were read by Monsignor Paolo Luca Braida, the head of office and the Secretary of State. The Holy Father thanked God for the pause in fighting between Israel and Hamas and for the exchange of hostages and prisoners being held by the warring parties. The Pope appealed, too, for prayers that all might be freed as soon as possible, urging us to think of their families. He also asked for prayers that more humanitarian aid might find its way to Gaza, while insisting on the need for dialogue. Those who do not want dialogue, he said, do not want peace. Pope Francis also noted yesterday's commemoration of the Holodomor, the genocide by starvation of millions of Ukrainians under the Soviet Union in the 1930s. That lacerating wound, instead of healing, is made even more painful by the atrocities of the war that continues to make that dear people suffer, the Pope said, in reference to the ongoing invasion of Ukraine by Russia. Pope Francis called for continued, untiring prayers for all peoples torn apart by conflict, saying that prayer is the force for peace that shatters the spiral of violence, breaks the cycle of vengeance, and offers unexpected paths of reconciliation. I'm Christopher Wells. President Biden says he's talking with leaders in the Middle East in an effort to extend a four-day ceasefire in the Israel-Hamas war. Biden said the goal is to allow the release of more hostages. Speaking to reporters in Nantucket, Massachusetts, the president expressed relief over Sunday's release of four-year-old Israeli-American Abigail Idan and other hostages. Biden called it the product of hard work and vowed to continue a diplomatic push until all the hostages are returned to their loved ones. Meanwhile, Senator Michael Bennett believes there is broad bipartisan support in the Senate for an aid package that includes Ukraine, but has conceded that support likely isn't there in the House. More from Mark Mayfield. Speaking on CBS Face the Nation, the Colorado Democrat was referring to President Biden's request for a combined $14 billion aid package that combines Ukraine, Israel, Southeast Asia, and the U.S.-Mexico border. Bennett stressed the importance of continuing support for Ukraine, not just for the country itself, but for democracy as a whole. Many House Republicans want to vote on aid to Ukraine to be separated from votes related to Israel and the U.S. southern border. I'm Mark Mayfield. Memorial services for First Lady Rosalind Carter are set to begin today. The former First Lady will lie in repose in the lobby of the Jimmy Carter Presidential Library in Atlanta for members of the public to pay their respects. Rosalind Carter's funeral will be held Wednesday in Plains, Georgia, and she will be buried at the family residence. More than 300,000 Honda Accords and HRVs are being recalled over potentially dangerous seatbelts. The recall affects 2023 and 2024 models. That's the news on the Sunrise Morning Show. It's 35 past the hour. The Are you expecting the kids to wake you up at the crack of dawn on Christmas morning? Make that experience more bearable by treating yourself to some Mystic Monk coffee. 
They have a number of Christmas blends available. And when you go to Mystic Monk Coffee through the link at sunrisemorningshow.com, you earn us a commission. Make Christmas morning even better by drinking your coffee with a Sunrise Morning Show mug available in our online store. Browse our mugs and link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. That's sunrisemorningshow.com. Business owners are starting to think outside the box to find new customers. You can reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners by underwriting The Sunrise Morning Show. Each weekday morning, listeners across the U.S. and around the globe can hear your message for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on The Sunrise Morning Show. To find out how it works, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah at sacredheartradio.com. The Baltimore Catechism asks, Why do we receive the gift of wisdom? We receive the gift of wisdom to give us a relish for the things of God and to direct our life and all our actions to His honor and glory. Relish. This indicates a liking for the things of God. As St. Jose Maria Escriva would say, we should love the will of God, not merely abandon ourselves to it. And the gift of wisdom helps us to guide our steps along His way. It's as if a man were standing on top of a cliff and could see all roads laid out before him, and now he directs himself to the goal of those roads, which is heaven itself. With the gift of wisdom, we find delight in God. We actually enjoy to be with him. And so, because of that, we direct our life to him. Come, Holy Spirit, fill my heart with the gift of wisdom, so that everything that I do may be directed to your honor and glory. Reflecting on the Baltimore Catechism, I'm Dominican Father Ezra Sullivan. The Sunrise Morning Show continues, and it is uh, just fascinating to be able to go through the catechism with Father John Gavin and look at where the church fathers are cited and the context of how they're cited, and we get to do that again today. Father Gavin, good morning. Good morning. We're back to our old friend St. Irenaeus. Uh, Mm -hmm. Where do we see him today? Well, today we're looking at the section of the catechism that looks at Christ's resurrection and ours. And the subheading here is, How Do the Dead Rise? So we're looking at the resurrection. And so each section, uh, the first one looks at what do we mean by rising from the dead? And, of course, looking at uh, the question of death, but also the reunion of soul and body uh, in the new spiritual body, and that is the resurrection. Then who will rise? The dead will rise. And then we come to the question of how. Uh, this is where St. Irenaeus is, uh, is cited, and so talking about Christ's uh, resurrection and what it will mean for us. All right, so do you want to read the passage, or do you want me to? Because it's a beautiful passage. It is. Um, well, I, I can read it. Uh, so this is coming from uh, St. Irenaeus, Against the Heresies, uh, Book 4, and it starts out, uh, this is the introduction to the quotation, This how exceeds the how of the resurrection, exceeds our imagination and understanding. It is accessible only to faith, yet our participation in the Eucharist already gives us a foretaste of Christ's transfiguration of our bodies. And here's the quote. St. Irenaeus writes, Just as bread that comes from the earth, after God's blessing has been invoked upon it, is no longer ordinary bread, but Eucharist, formed of two things, the one earthly and the other heavenly. 
so too our bodies, which partake of the Eucharist, are no longer corruptible, but possess the hope of the resurrection. I love it. Uh, it's basically, <laughs> it's saying, asking how the resurrection will happen is kind of like asking how the Eucharist happens. <laughs> right? right, exactly. Yeah. Exactly, and, and it even starts out in the introduction saying it is accessible only to faith, and yes, I mean, our eyes, of, uh, through the infused theological virtue of faith, recognize the real presence of Christ in, his, in the body and blood on the altar, but uh, at the same time, our, our faith also allows us to uh, see and anticipate the resurrection and the promises of our Lord. So there's, there's that link between the two. There is that link between the two, and, you know, I can't help but think of uh, how when the apostles saw the resurrected of Je- resurrected Jesus, uh, they they had, like, a couple of different ways. Of, like, in some ways, he was the same Jesus that they had seen before, and, and mm-hmm. in other ways, they thought he might be a ghost, right? Or right. <laughs> there, there are some—he was, he, he was recognizable by their eyes, but in some ways sort of unrecognizable by their eyes. And I actually find that to be the case with uh, some people who— um, don't know anything about Catholicism, but visit a Catholic church, right? And they don't, mm-hmm. they, they feel a presence, they see something, or they feel seen by something, is <laughs> sometimes how they'll phrase it, right? And, right. and yet, mm-hmm. uh, they're looking at, you know, what to them looks like a gold box in the back of a room, or, or something like that. There's, I, it is that mystery, right, of something you can see, but something that there is beyond what you can see is, there's, there's just layers and layers to kind of how the mind I mean, it makes sense, that phrase, it is accessible only to faith, I mean, I think kind of sums it up. Absolutely. And, and, it's, and what's wonderful is the way he makes that connection between the Eucharist and the Resurrection, because, uh, speaking about our eyes of faith, I mean, we're seeing something that is radically new in both. That, what I mean by that is the Resurrection to life, it's, it's not something that human beings could anticipate or can bring about on their own, nor is it uh, the resurrection, uh, the kind of continuing resuscitation of a corpse, like, right, like these zombie movies, right? That, no, on, on the contrary, it's something radically new, the life that we see revealed to us in Christ. We can see the same thing in the Eucharist. Uh, something radically new has happened here in every celebration. Uh, yes, it is the representation of our Lord's offering on the cross, and yet, at the same time, it's something radically new and present before us, uh, his real presence, his real life, offered for us on the altar. You know, this isn't in the text here, but I wonder if you could comment on it, because I, I'm, I'm just, you know, sort of, you know, reflecting on how we refer to the Holy Spirit in the Creed as the Lord, the giver of life. And... Mm. um where where do we see this principle at work in the Eucharist, right? We uh, we mm. see that the you know you the priest call down the power of the Holy Spirit upon the gifts, uh, and the Spirit you know kind of being that connection with breath with life giving, and of course it's the breathing on uh, you know the dust formed Adam that brings him to life. I I wonder how the Holy Spirit plays in this whole question of the how. Sure. I- I think, again, if we stick with this analogy, as you just said, in, in the celebration of the Eucharist, there is the epiclesis, the calling of the Holy Spirit upon the gifts of the altar. And I think perhaps what we, what we can see here is also the connection with faith as well, right? The calling of the Holy Spirit 
to the apostles in Pentecost in there uh, assures the promise of the resurrection. But I think it is, uh, as we have been seeing in our readings recently, as we await the return of Christ, it is the Holy Spirit who even now gives life to the Church in anticipation of the resurrection in the celebration of the Eucharist. In fact, St. Irenaeus says earlier in this passage that the Church, in celebrating the Eucharist, is glorified by what she offers through the Spirit. So in a way, even now we're being formed for the resurrection, and it is ultimately that the Holy Spirit uh, that will gi- uh, give us that gift of life that we come to know in the risen Jesus. Well, I mean, the Holy Spirit and, and the risen Jesus, uh, there's the life connection there, but I mean, as we're heading into this first Sunday of Advent, I mean, it's kind of impossible to ignore the fact that how does how is Jesus conceived? It's by the power of the Holy Spirit, yes. right? How that uh, how that hypostasis takes place is also the Holy Spirit's involvement. Uh, again, that's a, that's a big broad how accessible only to faith, but somehow it happened. Mm. <laughs> you know? Absolutely, and of course we see it in Mary even now, right? Uh, we we know in her in her risen life, uh, she, she's she's right from the beginning, as you just said, associated with the Holy Spirit. Uh, the Holy Spirit, through conceiving through the Holy Spirit, given life through the Holy Spirit. So in a way, we, we also see it present in her, or we see it present in her, even now. Yeah, indeed, indeed. Well, there's a lot uh, in that. I I also, um, you, my mind takes you back to Rome. I think it's Romans, where Paul says that the same Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies also. Uh, you know, it's it's a powerful thing to think about. Again, you know, it's funny because, you know, when you got kids or you're teaching CCD, <laughs> and mm. the kids ask how, right? right. You know, you, you want to come up with a fancy answer, and the church doesn't even come up with a fancy answer. No, it's, it's uh, as we go right back to the question of faith uh, and that infused gift. But every, I, I think that's why every time we go to the Eucharist, our faith in the promise of Christ and the resurrection also grows, right, uh, in our adoration of the body and blood of our Lord. Indeed. Well, thank you so much, Father John Gavin. What a rich passage. This is, it should be easy to remember, too. This is paragraph 1000 in the Catechism. (laughs) If you want to go look it up and read the words of St. Irenaeus directly for yourself. Thank you, as always. Have a wonderful day. Thank you for having me. God bless. All right, we got headlines with Anna Mitchell next. It's 14 till. I have been a school sister of Notre Dame for 72 years. Most senior Catholic sisters, brothers, and religious order priests serve for years with little pay. I always taught the primary grades, and I loved it. Today, hundreds of religious communities lack retirement funds. Your gift to the Retirement Fund for Religious helps provide medications and care. Please give to those who have given a lifetime. Thank you, and God bless you a hundredfold. Donate at your local parish. Central Fabricators is proud to support the Sunrise Morning Show, where you'll get news from the Catholic perspective while keeping you up to date on what's happening in the Vatican as well. It's also a great way to keep in touch with the Catholic faith throughout the week. Central Fabricators, based in Cincinnati, Ohio, is a family-owned business for over 75 years, manufacturing and repairing corrosion-resistant storage tanks, reactors, and pressure vessels. On the web at centralfabricators.com. That's centralfabricators.com. Got a coffee lover on your Christmas list this year? Give them the gift of Mystic Monk Coffee. 
The Carmelite Monks of Wyoming have a number of seasonal blends that would make for a great Christmas morning brew. And when you purchase it, after clicking the Mystic Monk link at sunrisemorningshow.com, you support the monks and the show. If your coffee lover is also a fan of the Sunrise Morning Show, pick up a mug or travel mug for them in our online store. Get a mug and link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. That's sunrisemorningshow.com. If it's central to the faith, you can find it on EWTN Podcast Central, featuring the best of EWTN radio, as well as faith-filled podcasts from our friends and affiliates across the nation, all in one place, all free. The destination for great Catholic audio programming is EWTN Podcast Central. It's like podcast heaven. Visit EWTN.com slash radio slash podcasts today. 12 till, here's Anna with headlines. The Holy See press director says Pope Francis is clearly improving from flu-like symptoms over the weekend. During his Angelus address yesterday, read by by an aide on his behalf, the Holy Father made appeals for the Holy Land and for Ukraine and also reflected on the Feast of Christ the King. And President Biden says he's talking with leaders in the Middle East in an effort to extend a four-day ceasefire in the Israel-Hamas war. Next newscast in about 14-ish minutes from now as the Sunrise Morning Show continues here on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Back with us now on the Sunrise Morning Show is Dr. Matthew Bunsen, Vice President and Editorial Director of EWTN News. Good morning, Doc. Good morning. Good to be with you. It is good to have you. And we've got more news in the continuing saga involving the German bishops and their so-called synodal way. So last time we were together last week about uh, we we discussed a letter that Pope Francis had written to four lay women who basically removed themselves from the whole thing and expressed their concerns to the Holy Father, who then wrote them back expressing his concerns about what is going on in Germany. And since we last spoke, there has been another salvo from Rome. Tell us about it. That's absolutely right. Uh, you stressed something that I think is important to note, and that is uh, the Holy Father apparently received that letter from the four German uh, professors, experts, uh, theologians, and journalists uh, on November 6th, responded within four days. We now know that um, another letter was sent uh, to the, all of the German bishops, and that was dated October 23rd, so actually before Pope Francis received his letter. So things were oh, wow. already in motion. Uh, I, I mention that because uh, the timelines now are, are increasingly important, given especially what's in this letter. The letter itself uh, was written uh, under the signature of Cardinal Pietro Parolin, who is the Vatican Secretary of State, and was sent specifically to the Secretary General of the German Bishops' Conference, someone by the name of Beate Gilles, and it was then distributed to all of the German bishops. And what it says, essentially, is a reminder uh, that uh, the ordination of women and changes to the Church's teachings on homosexuality and previous homosexual acts cannot be subjects of discussion in what are expected to be upcoming meetings uh, in Rome with representatives of this German synodal way. So essentially, the the Vatican is staking out its ground here 
as to what it is willing to talk about and what it isn't. And I think that's a pretty significant development, uh, as you as you noted, too, yeah. in this ongoing saga. Indeed. Uh, so, as you mentioned, this from the Vatican Secretary of State, not from the Pope himself, but does this have the force of the papacy behind it, do you think? Well, a letter like this uh, would not have been sent uh certainly without Pope Francis's uh, awareness, and uh, I'm certain uh, that uh, his involvement in the decision uh, had to have been present. What is notable, and one of the questions that's going to overhang some of this, uh, is what will be the role and what was the role of uh, Cardinal Fernandez, uh, who is, of course, the recently appointed uh, head for the uh, dicastery for the Doctrine of the Faith. His involvement uh, in these talks is going to obviously be crucial, given his position in, as doctrine chief of the Church. So that's uh, one question that's still overhanging this. Uh, however, a letter like this doesn't go out, uh, certainly not to the entire German Episcopacy, as we have seen previously, uh, without Pope Francis's awareness. Yeah, and, and you're alluding to the fact this is definitely not the first time that that Rome has has tried to get the German bishops to sort of pump the brakes on on some of these issues that they're trying to discuss. But do you have any insight as to why all of this is is happening now? It just seems like a barrage all of a sudden. Yes, I think there are a couple things at work. Uh, the, the first is that we know that, uh, as I was just mentioning, the representatives of the Synodal Way are heading to Rome. Sure. Yeah. Uh, we anticipate they're going to be having uh, discussions in January and again. Second, uh, the Germans themselves have pushed ahead with their plan, or intend to, uh, to create a permanent Synodal Council. In other words, they, that you and I have talked about just last week, uh, a, a council that would essentially run the German church instead of uh, the German church being run as it's supposed to be by the German bishops exclusively. Let's remember also that this synodal council is going to be comprised of lay people, uh, comprised mostly of members of a radical lay organization called the Central Committee of German Catholics. They are uh, going to have their own meetings, including a, a large gathering soon in Augsburg. And then we have uh, just finished uh, the Synod on Synodality, and that was specifically referenced in this letter as well by Cardinal Parolin, uh, where it says that the considering, and I'm quoting now, considering the course of the German Synodal Way so far, one must first realize that a universal Synodal Way is currently taking place, convened by the Holy Father. Therefore, it is necessary to respect this path of the universal Church to avoid the impression that parallel initiatives are underway that are indifferent to the effort of journey together. This is not the first time also that that Pope Francis himself has made this point. We go all the way back, as you know, to uh, June of 2019, when the Holy Father was asking the Germans not to go down this road, but down this road they went. Yeah. Um, I want to go back to this timeline issue that you were mentioning, because you said this letter was actually sent prior to the letter that was was written to these German professors and journalists. Um, why is it coming out after the letter from Pope Francis? Do we have any well, insight we, into that? Yeah, I think uh, we know that uh, this was uh, first reported uh, on the Catholic side by CNA Deutsch, which is the CNA's German language news partner. Uh, so it's essentially the Catholic news agency. It's one of the 
increasingly important uh, news outlets that yeah. we have as part of EWTN News. Uh, but it was then itself posted uh, in a German newspaper uh, on just a couple of days ago by the, the German paper Tagespost. So essentially this is a, a series of leaks or a series of uh, publications of these documents. The timing itself is achieved simply in this case by the revelation uh, of the letter, but we now know that, uh, that this actually went at the end of October. That's notable, as I said, because uh, here we are. Uh, we were still basically uh, at work in the Synod uh, when this letter was published, was sent specifically to uh, the German bishops. Wow. Wow. And, I mean, this is kind of a line in the sand, it seems like, uh, ahead of these meetings, as you were just talking about. I mean, is it, this is something that the bishops really cannot ignore now or can't cover up at this point now that now that these leaks have happened well the, the position of the german bishops uh, the, in particular uh, bishop Georg Batesing, who's the president of the german episcopal conference who is at the senate on synodality was that they came out of the synod claiming that they feel fully vindicated and fully validated in their work uh, because of the discussions that were had the so much for that <laughs> so, so far we hope so far, they have seen little disposed uh, to stop this process. We'll see what happens. So there have to be some next steps and some consequences, even this letter from Cardinal Paroline points out. Yeah. Well, we'll leave it at that for now. Really encourage you to go over to the Catholic News Agency and the National Catholic Register, EWTN News, to uh, read much more about all of this. We've been talking to Dr. Matthew Bunsen. Doc, thank you so much. Yeah, great to be with you. God bless. You too, Doc. Thank you. All right, we got another hour of the Sunrise Morning Show coming up for most of our affiliates here on EWTN Radio. Arise, it's a new day. Hear his word, let us pray. The Sunrise Morning Show. We continue on this Monday, the 27th of November, by praying for all who are sick. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Dear Jesus, divine physician and healer of the sick, we turn to you in this time of illness. O dearest comforter of the troubled, alleviate our worry and sorrow with your gentle love. And grant us the grace and strength to accept this burden. Dear God, we place our worries in your hands. We place our sick under your care and humbly ask that you restore your servants to health again. Above all, grant us the grace to acknowledge your will and know that whatever you do, you do for love of us. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. It is a better way to start a Monday morning. The Sunrise Morning Show. I'm Matt Swaim. Anna Mitchell has news. Paul Ackman at the controls. Travis has the video feed up and running. You can find it in the show notes at sunrisemorningshow.com. Hope you've had a pretty relaxing, edifying, uh, rejuvenating Thanksgiving holiday. We are done through Christ the King, heading towards the first week of Advent. So... 
We're here to get you through. Up this hour, we got lots going on. We're going to talk to Teresa Tamio from EWTN and Ave Maria Radio's Catholic Connection. We'll catch up with Brendan Hodge from The Pillar, who's been sharing some fascinating statistics on vocations, comparing uh, vocation rates in larger and smaller dioceses. Bear Wozniak will talk about men as providers and protectors. And then Sean McAfee's got this new book that's, man, it weighs like seven pounds. It's called The Compendium of Sacramentals. Looking forward to talking to that talking to him about that at the end of the hour. So stay with us if you can. Right now it is two minutes past the hour. News is a service of Central Fabricators and centralfabricators.com. Here's Anna Mitchell. Good morning. Pope Francis is reportedly improving from flu-like symptoms over the weekend. That according to Matteo Bruni, who is the head of the Holy See Press Office. In his latest update earlier today, Bruni said... The Pope is in a good and stable condition. He has no fever and his respiratory situation is clearly improving. He confirmed as well that the Holy Father did have a CT scan over the weekend, which ruled out pneumonia but showed pulmonary inflammation that has caused some breathing difficulties. And so Pope Francis canceled his Saturday audiences and had an aide read his Sunday Angelus address from the chapel in his residence at the Casa Santa Marta instead of in St. Peter's Square. During his address, he reiterated his prayers for Ukraine as well as for the Holy Land, giving thanks for the release of hostages. Meanwhile, a young Israeli-American child is among the hostages who has been reunited with family members after being released on the third day of a ceasefire in the Holy Land War. Mark Mayfield has more. President Biden confirmed four-year-old Abigail Edan arrived safely back in Israel on Sunday in exchange for Palestinian prisoners. Speaking to reporters in Nantucket, Massachusetts, Biden said he's hopeful a four-day truce can be extended so all of the hostages, including other Americans, can safely return to their families. I'm Mark Mayfield. Memorial services for First Lady Rosalind Carter are set to begin today. The former First Lady will lie in repose in the lobby of the Jimmy Carter Presidential Library in Atlanta, for members of the public to pay their respects today. Rosalind Carter's funeral will be held on Wednesday in Plains, Georgia, and she will be buried at their family residence. President Biden and First Lady Jill Biden will be attending a service in Georgia tomorrow at Emory University. The wife of former President Jimmy Carter passed away earlier this month. She was 96 years old. Back to the Angelus address with Pope Francis. In his catechesis, the Holy Father reflected on the Feast of Christ the King. From Vatican Radio, Thaddeus Jones reports. In his prepared remarks read by Monsignor Paolo Bride of the Secretary of State, the Pope recalled when the Gospel speaks to us about the final judgment, telling us it will be based on our care for one another through charity and mercy. Il Vangelo ci parla del giudizio finale. Recalling the scene described in the Gospel of a great hall where Jesus is seated on a throne and all the peoples of the world are gathered at his feet, he said, The blessed are shown to be friends of the king. They're the ones who fed the hungry, took care of the sick and needy, and visited prisoners. Indeed, the criteria of Jesus, the Pope said, places importance on those serving the needy, the weakest, those who need our help. And this is because the Son of Man is a completely different king who calls the poor brethren, who identifies with the hungry, the thirsty, the outsiders, the sick, the imprisoned, and says, as you did it to one of the least of these my brethren, you did it to me. 
The Pope said the gospel underscores that the blessed are those who show loving mercy through their service to people needing our help and companionship, by not ignoring them or turning them away, but by providing food, drink, clothing, shelter, and accompaniment. They're the friends of the king as they distinguish themselves by following his example through compassion, mercy, and tenderness. The Pope in his reflections recommended we examine our own lives and how much we recognize and believe in the centrality of mercy, the power of love, how charity is indispensable for believers, and if we are a friend of the king in being personally involved in the needs of the suffering people we find on our path. In conclusion, he said, May Mary, Queen of Heaven and Earth, help us to love Jesus, our King, in the least of our brethren. I'm Thaddeus Jones. Parts of the country are seeing cold weather as people head home from the Thanksgiving holiday weekend. In the Great Lakes region, below average temperatures will trigger lake effect snow and travel could be dangerous in parts of the Midwest and into the Northeast. Heavy rain is also possible along the Gulf Coast and Mid-Atlantic into New England. And sales were up in the U.S. on Black Friday this year. MasterCard's spending pulse said on Saturday retail sales rose 2.5 percent year over year, not adjusting for inflation. MasterCard spending pulse measures in-store and online sales across all forms of payment and said it expects retail sales to grow 3.7 percent during this year's holiday season. Wow. Yeah. So in I, I heard spite that this of the is like one of the busiest travel weekends, I think maybe yesterday was like broke some kind of record for air travel. Oh yeah, I did so, see a story about that. What was that? A lot of people, uh, a lot of people back in the mix. In this. American Airlines says it flew almost six and a half million people. Goodness gracious! Sixty one hundred departures were scheduled for yesterday and today. It's How many arrivals? Uh, I would I'm hope joking. 6, I'm joking. I'm hoping the same amount. Yeah. Thanks, Matt. But at any rate, hopefully, I don't. I didn't hear any horror stories of people sleeping in the airport for like, you know, a week at a time. Yeah. As sometimes happens. You drove this time. Right? I drove this time. Yeah. You're going to be flying later this week. I'm flying later this week because I'm coming to Cincinnati for a talk that you and I are giving together. Yeah. Who? Who, Who in thought their that would be a right good idea? mind wanted to put Matt and Annie together? Goodness gracious. I know. Well, <laughs> it's Teresa Tamio. Awesome. Teresa Tamio knows what that's all about. She joins us now from Ave Maria Radio and EWTN's co production, Catholic Connection. Teresa, good morning. Good morning. I would love to hear both of you speak because you're both excellent speakers. I've heard you speak individually, but never a tap dancing routine together. That's awesome. I think you've only ever seen us in the same room, like, twice. Yeah, just call us Fred and Ginger. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I think it'd be awesome. What's your topic? What is it? No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. We're going to be talking about... <laughs> We're doing a, a talk for a Montessori school. Um, actually, Aww. the one that uh, Annie's family attends. And we're going to talk Aww. about Montessori education, the education of the whole person, all kinds of things related to that. As That's you, awesome. That's great. As you may be aware, I'm married to a Catholic educator, and I overhear all kinds of interesting things. Sure. About Catholic education. Well, I'm not an you. expert. You have to give us a report. When is the talk? When's the presentation? Uh, it's going to be on Friday. Oh uh, my goodness! Is it Friday? No, is it Thursday? Yeah, it's Friday. It's Friday. Poor Matt. It's Friday. He doesn't. I'm just T. I'm Ask driving Annie. him. She's, 
Just get him there, Annie. I'm just, ga- I just, <laughs> just get I'm me there. I'm his chauffeur, and yeah, so. Here we go. Okay, Matt, walk into the room. Work. Here's the podium. Here's exactly. the microphone. Exactly. Exactly. Who yeah. are you again? What's that? Yeah. I'm his people. That's yeah. right. Yes. Uh, talk, to, talk to my people. And we'll, we'll get you set up. Teresa, you're an old hand at this. You know you know how to walk into, like, anywhere and, and do these talks because you've got, you know, so many cool topics. And you got friends and you got friends in every town from here to Florence. So uh, I'll, have to, I'll have to start t- stealing tips off of you. But uh, what uh, do you, you got going will, on You guys this will week? be great. I mean, you talk every day, too. It's, it's, you know what it it's is? True. It's just having a conversation with people and being real and just like you do on the radio every morning. So no worries. It'll do, be fantastic. True. Well, I want to hear what, about what Dr. Peter Williamson's up to, speaking of people who I like to hear talk. Oh, yeah, he's awesome. So you know he is at uh, Sacred Heart Major Seminary in Detroit, and he was on Catholic Connection uh, more than once, once in my local hour for our Michigan and Ohio listeners, and then again on the national hour to promote these great free online courses that they're offering at this amazing seminary in the Archdiocese of Detroit, where, of course, I have a soft heart for it because many of my friends teach there, including Dr. Mary Healy, and the rector is a personal friend. But they do such great work because they're offering now so many free courses that anyone, anywhere can take, or even if they're not free, for example, if you want to do an online course, you can do it. You don't have to be in, in our area in southeastern Michigan. So this is super cool. And Deacon Dom and I were talking on the way home um, from Italy last week. What are we going to do for Advent? We want to do something in addition to being involved in events at our parish, uh, obviously. We want to do something to deepen our understanding of Christ and Scripture. So I'm thinking, well, duh, I just interviewed Dr. Peter Williamson in this great free course, and it's beautiful. It's called Isaiah in the Light of Christ, and it's all about God in Scripture. So let me just kind of give you a summary. Join us this Advent season as Dr. Peter Williamson, the Adam Cardinal Light of Chair in Sacred Scripture at Sacred Heart, explores the writings of the prophet Isaiah in the light of Christ. So basically what they're focusing on, Matt, are, will be the prophecies foreshadowing the coming of Christ, the most evident in the prophet Isaiah, read by the Church during the points, high points of the liturgical year. So he is so good in terms of he's extremely knowledgeable. He's a revert, uh, a convert actually to the faith. He's and a former he Presbyterian. So I happen to know that as producer of The Journey Home. I so was going to say, go. I pred, that's what I was saying to Paul. I said, I'm sure Matt knows him because I know he's been on The Journey Home I don't Home know before. him, but I know of him. He was on in 2010. Yeah, yeah he's awesome. So I, I just encouraging people to check this out. You can just go to uh, shms.edu and look up free courses. It's right there, or just do a Google search for Sacred Heart Major Seminary. We also have it in our archives at Catholic Connection if you want to take a listen to the interview. But this is something you do at your own pace, but it's just beautiful because I love the readings uh, during the Advent oh, yeah, and Christmas fantastic. season. You know? Well, so uh, he's been on the Sunrise Morning Show, but it's been a long time. Mm-hmm. And if I recall correctly, the context of, of us having him on was the Catholic Commentary on Sacred Scripture as it was really starting to get rolling. And they don't have all these volumes out. They've got... The Gospels, Acts, um, a few of the epistles of St. Paul, I don't know that they've got one on Isaiah. I hope this is like a sign that we will be like uh, maybe getting some of those from uh, from the Old Testament because, man, those are those are really great resources, that I Catholic know. Commentary series. Yeah. It's, uh, he and, and uh, Mary Healy work on them Mary together, Healy. but yeah. uh, Curtis Mitch is involved with those and Dr. Sri and some others who have contributed to those series. So you're talking about high level, like really, you know, stuff you 
never seen before in passages you've heard a million times. Right. It's great. But the nice thing about this program, and I asked him about this during the interviews that I did with him, is that it's accessible to everyone. I mean, my husband's got a right. master's in, in theology because he studied for, for the diaconate, but you don't have to be someone who has a degree in theology or, or scripture study. This is made for the average lay person and the one who loves to learn more about scripture and the Bible uh, to really kind of soak it up, especially when, when you're going to Mass and when you're doing your daily readings and you're hearing and reading these beautiful verses from Scripture, especially the Old Testament this time of year. Then when you go on this course and you see what uh, this expert in Scripture has to say about it, I just think it brings it home. And what I like about it, it's very doable. Uh, it, it's not something you have to leave your house for and, and go attend another event, so to speak. Not that many people won't be doing that anyway, but this is something you can do in addition. Or maybe you just want to have a real quiet Advent season and just sit and be at home and just breathe in all this beauty about the Old Testament and the prophecies of Christ. Yeah, very cool. Uh, last yeah. couple questions uh, with just a moment left here, Teresa, because we got a little space between uh, Thanksgiving and the first Sunday of Advent. We don't usually get a little space. Are you uh, are you prepping for some, some good purpling of the house? Are you going to yes. do some purple stuff? Yes, we stuff? are, as a matter of fact. But, you know, we just got back from the motherland, so we're kind of behind things. So we're, we're uh, just kind of it's very simple, because in Advent we don't put everything out, obviously, before, because it is Advent. But there's a lot of events already that are on our schedule. Dominic and I are very involved in the Vatican Pages of the Arts. We have an event there. And, of course, uh, the girls have, um, the twins have a concert. They have a school play, and they have a dance recital. So we've got that on the agenda already. So we're going to try to make it low-key, um, but there's already things filling up our schedule. It's, it's not even Advent yet. Advent starts this weekend, and we were looking at our schedule yesterday, and like, okay, this is a sign that we have to make sure we just take it easy and don't pile too much on the calendar. I hear you. I hear you. Well, we're not going to put up any lights until next weekend when it actually mm -hmm. hits. And we got these lights that you got like a little clicker for. And yep. you can change the colors on the lights. I love so I'm, those. I'm going to be able to change them, you know, for purple, purple, and then pink, and then purple again before we go nuts at Christmas. So cool. I'm, uh, I'm no Clark Griswold, but I can get a little bit done. <laughs> you won't be able to see me from space, but... I try and do a good job. That's what's great to be married to an electrical engineer. He's retired now. There he's you very go. handy around the house when it comes to I know to who the I'm light. calling when one goes out and they all go out. <laughs> Deacon Dom. Deacon Dom's electrical yeah. repair. Well, thank yep. you so much, Teresa. We'll be tuned in to Catholic Connection later this morning. Have a wonderful day, and we'll talk to you soon. Okay, hon. God bless. Bye-bye. 16 past. Got headlines coming up next. Support is for MediShare. Let's see, if something costs less, but people are happier with it, that sounds like something to look into, and that is MediShare. Maybe you've heard switching to MediShare to pay for healthcare can save many families up to 500 bucks a month, and that is huge. But it's also true that people are way more satisfied after making the switch, too. The member satisfaction rate for MediShare is double that of the typical health insurance plan. Double. MediShare works, too. It's been around for 30 years. Members have shared more than $5 billion of each other's bills. People love having telehealth and a huge nationwide PPO network. So, yeah, really, you can save a ton and like it better. Imagine being happy with how you're taking care of your health care. So if you're self-employed or part of the gig economy or you just want to plan you're happy with. You can call right now. You'll get a price within two minutes. So see what you can say. This is a very, very smart use of two minutes. Here's the number you need. Call 844-55-BIBLE. That's 844-55-BIBLE. 844-55-BIBLE. 
Business owners are starting to think outside the box to find new customers. You can reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Each weekday morning, listeners across the U.S. and around the globe can hear your message for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show. To find out how it works, email me, Leah, at SacredHeartRadio.com. That's Leah at SacredHeartRadio.com. EWTN, communicating the faith. I am a very happy, grateful revert to the faith. About 12 years ago, I was surfing the channels, and I found EWTN. I didn't even know it existed, and I heard Mother, and remembered that years ago, I had told a Catholic nun at a church in Boston that I was visiting that I missed the faith, and she said, you will come back. And when I was listening to Mother Angelica, I remembered that. 18 past, here's Anna with headlines. The Holy See press director says Pope Francis continues to improve from flu-like symptoms over the weekend that led him to cancel some audiences and have his Angelus address read out by an aide. During his Angelus address, the Holy Father reiterated his prayers for the Holy Land and for Ukraine. And a young Israeli-American child is among the hostages who have been released in the ceasefire in the Holy Land War. News at the top and bottom of each hour every weekday morning here on the Sunrise Morning Show. And Anna Mitchell, as we prepare uh, for the season of Advent, there's not that much in the way of Advent music. But Mm -hmm. I do want to put the challenge out there to try and, however possible... I mean, you can't avoid it everywhere. Like, you'll be standing outside pumping gas, and they'll be blasting, you know, Grandma Got Run Over, you know, over the I don't remember the last time I heard that song. It's more like, all I want for Christmas is you. Jingle Bells, Batman Smells, you know, all these things. It it is. It's. I feel like it's the same, like, 12 songs over and over. Mm -hmm. Um, But I guess if the regular radio station is playing the same 12 Christmas songs over and over, it's okay to play the same 12 Advent songs over and over. Exactly. If you're looking with the Benedictines That is such a good point. Um, I, the most egregious example of this was I was in a store this weekend. I won't say which one because I don't want to embarrass, you know, the person who put together the playlist may be listening, and I don't want them to, mm, okay. to have their feelings hurt. But I heard We Three Kings. Oh, wow. Uh, That's awfully early Which for that. is... That's to an hear epiphany an epiphany song. song two days before the feast of Christ the King. It's just, a, although technically, I mean, I guess it's, well, I don't know. Oh my gosh. Yesterday, Matt, at Mass, the closing hymn was, you know, Christ Jesus Victor. Oh, of course. I, now and forever. Oh yes. my gosh. I get teared up every time I hear that. You know, like, This is a week to really, I mean, I know we don't, liturgically speaking, have an octave of the Feast of Christ the King, but this should be a week when we really start cleaning house in our hearts that, you know, we we talk about Jesus as King of the Universe. That's the, you know, the, the official liturgical title of the feast that we celebrated yesterday, but he needs to be King of our hearts. And and that is certainly something that Advent can help us prepare for his coming in glory. And the newborn so, king. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, liturgical ear. Starts with the king, ends with the king. The king of kings. It's 21 past.
lover on your Christmas list this year? Give them the gift of Mystic Monk Coffee. The Carmelite Monks of Wyoming have a number of seasonal blends that would make for a great Christmas morning brew. And when you purchase it, after clicking the Mystic Monk link at sunrisemorningshow.com, you support the monks and the show. If your coffee lover is also a fan of the Sunrise Morning Show, pick up a mug or travel mug for them in our online store. Get a mug and link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. That's sunrisemorningshow.com. Business owners are starting to think outside the box to find new customers. You can reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners by underwriting The Sunrise Morning Show. Each weekday morning, listeners across the U.S. and around the globe can hear your message for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on The Sunrise Morning Show. To find out how it works, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah at sacredheartradio.com. Hello, this is Father Mark Watkins, pastor of St. Lawrence. Pray with me now the praises of Mary by St. Anthony of Padua. The praises of Mary. Oh, how wondrous is the dignity of the glorious Virgin. She merited to become the mother of him who is the strength and beauty of the angels and the grandeur of all the saints. Mary was the seat of our sanctification, that is to say, the dwelling place of the Son who sacrificed himself for us. And I shall glorify the place where my feet have stood, the feet of the Savior signify his human nature. The place where the feet of the Savior stood was the Blessed Virgin Mary, who gave him his human nature. Today the Lord glorifies that place, since he has exalted Mary above the choirs of the angels. That is to say, the Blessed Virgin, who was the dwelling of the Savior, has been assumed bodily into heaven. Amen. It's 23 minutes past the hour. You're listening to the Sunrise Morning Show on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Happy to have you along with us on a Monday morning. Hope you had a fabulous Thanksgiving and Christ the King weekend. Back with us now on the Sunrise Morning Show is Brendan Hodge. He is Darwin from the Darwin Catholic blog. He's author of the novel, If You Can Get It, from Ignatius Press and is a contributing editor to The Pillar. Good morning, Brendan. Good morning. Great to be on with you. It is great to have you back. And we talked last time about some data mining that you were doing into vocations and the fact that basically simply suggesting to a young man that he consider a vocation to the priesthood is a a powerful force in, in his life. Um, can have a big impact on whether or not he actually does consider and move forward in pursuing the priesthood. But uh, as we left off uh, the last time, we were saying it's not that simple when priests have these huge congregations and they don't know their parishioners, don't have the opportunity to get to know their parishioners quite as well as a smaller a priest with a smaller congregation would. And and so we're going to look at this from um, sort of the diocesan level now. Um, first off, talk about the idea of the number of ordinations that a diocese needs year in and year out. How do you come to that number for a diocese? Yeah, so there are really two factors that you need to look at in order to calculate the 
vocations that a diocese needs, and vocation ministry has done some good work around this. So what they've looked at is um, the number of ordinations that you need in order to maintain your current number of priests, um, and then also to um, just have a, 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 uh, a basic ratio of Catholics to um, priests available in the diocese. So they'd use two factors. One is that the number of annual ordinations needs to equal 2.4% of the number of current active priests, because if you assume that uh, each year you're going to have some priests who retire or die and some priests who are ordained, and sort of the average age at which priests are ordained, you're going to need to replace 2.4% of your priests each year. And then the other number that they use is that in order to have a healthy ratio of priests to total Catholics in the diocese who need to be ministered to, you need to ordain one new priest each year for every 120,000 Catholics. Mm. So for a small diocese, that might mean about one ordination a year, but for some of these large dioceses that have upwards of a million Catholics, that would mean that they should be ordaining 10 or more priests per year. Yeah, and I don't think that that is happening in a lot of those bigger dioceses. Can you take us through the numbers for some of the biggest dioceses in the country? Sure. So uh, when you look at um, the really big dioceses, like our largest diocese is the Los Angeles Archdiocese. Um, They have um, uh, over 2 million Catholics in the diocese, and they've got over 7,600 Catholics per parish priest in the diocese. So they have a a really large number of Catholics that need to be ministered to by each priest. Um, They would need to be ordaining um, over 20 priests per year in order to keep up with their demand. And they're not doing that. They're actually only meeting 33% of their need for ordinations. Um, And we see this trend across diocese. So when you look at your largest diocese in the U.S., it's Los Angeles, New York, Chicago, Boston, Phoenix, Houston, Philadelphia, San Diego. Um, Only a couple of these dioceses are even reaching 50%. Uh, So Boston is at 62% of their total need. Um, Philadelphia is at 50%. And um, Newark is at 64%. But the numbers are, are not very high when you consider the huge number of priests that they need. And so these dioceses, which already have very high numbers of Catholics that need to be ministered to by each priest, are going to see that get worse and worse over the coming years because they're falling further and further behind. Yeah, and there's a really helpful graph in your piece over at the Pillar on vocations. Uh, if listeners want to get more specifics and kind of look through and see where your particular diocese falls um, in in this regard. But what are some of the dioceses that are doing quite well in terms of of this uh, number um, of vocations per parishioner? So by far the standout is the Wichita Diocese. The Wichita is a fairly small diocese. Uh, and they have a lot of priests already. They've got uh, only about 1,000 parishioners per priest. 
they're uh, ordaining men at a rate which is 300% of their need for vocations. Wow. So they and have let a me really just strong say, vocations program. Yeah, let me just say, when you look at this graph that I was just alluding to here, Brendan, like there's one dot way at the top, and it's Wichita, and that's the only one. I Wow. What are the – well, tell us, because we're running out of time, I can hear the music here. Um, just give us a couple of other examples of dioceses doing well before we let you go. A couple of the real standouts are Springfield, Illinois, uh, Little Rock, Arkansas, Des Moines, Iowa, Nashville, Tennessee, Bismarck, North Dakota, and Tulsa, Oklahoma. So nice. all of those are ordaining at least 150% of the number of priests that they would need in order to maintain ministry in those dioceses. Wow. And they're all quite small dioceses. Yeah. Very interesting. Maybe we got some more to uh, discuss out of this piece the next time we get together. But in the meantime, you can find Pillar Catholic and Darwin Catholic linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. And the piece over at Pillar Catholic is called On Vocations. Asking is key. You can find it at their website. Brendan Hodge, thank you very much. Thank you. It is half past the hour now on the Sunrise Morning Show. It's time for news. Pope Francis is, quote, clearly improving from flu-like symptoms over the weekend. That's according to Matteo Bruni, the director of the Holy See Press Office. In his latest update on the Holy Father earlier today, Bruni said, quote, the Pope is in a good and stable condition. He has no fever and his respiratory situation is clearly improving, end quote. He also confirmed that the Holy Father did have a CT scan over the weekend, which ruled out pneumonia but showed pulmonary inflammation, which has caused some breathing difficulties. And so Pope Francis canceled his Saturday audiences, but did appear and participate a little bit during his Angelus address. In the address, the Holy Father reiterated his prayers for the Holy Land and for Ukraine. From Vatican Radio, Christopher Wells has more. Pope Francis led the Angelus from his residence at Casa Santa Marta as he continues to deal with flu-like symptoms that have kept him from a number of his scheduled appointments. The Pope's Gospel Reflection and Post-Angelus Appeals were read by Monsignor Paolo Luca Braida, the head of office and the Secretary of State. The Holy Father thanked God for the pause in fighting between Israel and Hamas and for the exchange of hostages and prisoners being held by the warring parties. The Pope appealed, too, for prayers that all might be freed as soon as possible, urging us to think of their families. He also asked for prayers that more humanitarian aid might find its way to Gaza, while insisting on the need for dialogue. Those who do not want dialogue, he said, do not want peace. Pope Francis also noted yesterday's commemoration of the Holodomor, the genocide by starvation of millions of Ukrainians under the Soviet Union in the 1930s. That lacerating wound, instead of healing, is made even more painful by the atrocities of the war that continues to make that dear people suffer, the Pope said, in reference to the ongoing invasion of Ukraine by Russia. Pope Francis called for continued, untiring prayers for all peoples torn apart by conflict, saying that prayer is the force for peace that shatters the spiral of violence, breaks the cycle of vengeance, and offers unexpected paths of reconciliation. I'm Christopher Wells. A young Israeli-American child is among the hostages being reunited with family members after being released on the third day of the ceasefire in the Israel-Hamas war. 
President Biden confirmed four-year-old Abigail Edan arrived safely back in Israel in exchange for Palestinian prisoners. Speaking to reporters from Nantucket, Massachusetts, Biden said he's hopeful that the four-day truce could be extended so that all of the hostages, including other Americans, could safely return to their families. The Israel Prison Service confirmed that 39 Palestinians were released in accordance with the temporary peace agreement. Meanwhile, Senator Michael Bennett says he believes there is broad bipartisan support in the Senate for an aid package that includes Ukraine, but has conceded that support likely is not there in the House. More from Mark Mayfield. Speaking on CBS Face the Nation, the Colorado Democrat was referring to President Biden's request for a combined $14 billion aid package that combines Ukraine, Israel, Southeast Asia, and the U.S.-Mexico border. Bennett stressed the importance of continuing support for Ukraine, not just for the country itself, but for democracy as a whole. Many House Republicans want to vote on aid to Ukraine to be separated from votes related to Israel and the U.S. southern border. I'm Mark Mayfield. Memorial services for former First Lady Rosalind Carter are set to begin today. The former First Lady will lie in repose in the lobby of the Jimmy Carter Presidential Library in Atlanta for members of the public to pay their respects. Rosalind Carter's funeral will be held on Wednesday in Plains, Georgia, and she will be buried at their family residence. President Biden and First Lady Jill Biden will be attending a service in Georgia tomorrow at Emory University. The wife of former President Jimmy Carter passed away earlier this month at the age of 96. More than 300,000 Honda Accords and HRVs are being recalled over potentially dangerous seatbelts. The recall affects models from 2023 and 2024. That's the news on the Sunrise Morning Show. It's 35 past. The Are you expecting the kids to wake you up at the crack of dawn on Christmas morning? Make that experience more bearable by treating yourself to some Mystic Monk coffee. They have a number of Christmas blends available. And when you go to Mystic Monk Coffee through the link at sunrisemorningshow.com, you earn us a commission. Make Christmas morning even better by drinking your coffee with a Sunrise Morning Show mug available in our online store. Browse our mugs and link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. That's sunrisemorningshow.com. This is Father Rob Jack with the Heart of St. Paul. Today, many people are worried about identity theft. But there is something more important than our material identity, and that is our spiritual identity. St. Paul tells us our battle is purely a spiritual one, and so we need the armor of God. This armor consists of the girdle of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes of the gospel of peace, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. The girdle of truth helps us recognize our need for God. The breastplate of righteousness is our right behavior done with a humble and generous spirit. The shoes of the gospel of peace, whereby we go to meet others with confidence that God is with us. The shield of faith, which protects us from the doubts and uncertainties with which the devil tries to tempt us. The helmet of salvation, which is the grace of recognizing the goodness of what God has done for us. And lastly, the sword of the Spirit, whereby the teaching of God and his truth exposes the lies of the world and the emptiness of the world's message that seeks to abolish God from our hearts. St. Paul tells us that in the battle of good and evil, 
If we are clothed interiorly and exteriorly with these gifts, then this spiritual armor will help us prevail, because it is not we who prevail, it is Christ who prevails in us. And we hear this from the heart of St. Paul. The Sunrise Morning Show continues on this Monday, the 27th of November. I'm Matt Swaim, joined now by Bear Wozniak, host of the Bear Wozniak Adventure on EWTN Radio and the Long Ride Home on EWTN Television. We've been going through his book, 12 Rules for Manliness, Where Have All the Cowboys Gone? Bear, good morning. Aloha, Matt. Good to talk to you. Good to talk to you, too. And, you know, you talk a lot about Kuleana, and uh, the Catholic Church talks about stewardship, and uh, a lot of this all comes from the idea of God as a Father and uh, giving us things to be trusted with. And so uh, how do you kind of explore this topic of, of men being able to take care of the things that they've been trusted with? Yeah, you know— um John Paul II wrote about love and responsibility. Uh, they're not two different things. They're, they're one thing. His very first writings were about that. And, uh, and so I think when a kuleana um, means an area of personal stewardship um, and responsibility, that's more than just an exterior thing. It's like we're, we're sailing right now. Uh, by the way, we're on the north side of Virgin Gorda Island in the Virgin Islands. We have to take care of this boat. You know, there was a, a alarm sounded in the middle of the night. We had to, had to get up and, you know, and take care of things, make sure everything was right. Uh, this is our boat that car- carries, uh, you know, uh, provides for Cindy and I, protects us and takes us where we want to go. And our own Kuliana um, is, is like that, too. There's, a, there's an area of responsibility God has given us. But it's not just, it's not just an area of responsibility. In Hawaii, Kuliana means it's part of us. And so if I really love Cindy... I'm going to uh, take care of this boat. I'm going to take care of it in a way that's going to protect her and provide for her, and it's going to be uh, useful for us, and it's going to take us where we want to go. If you think of a man, uh, especially the men back in the day, Matt, you remember, you mean like, I remember when I was, you know what, dude, I remember when I was young, my uh, grandfather was a coal miner. He would get up in the morning and go down into that hole before sunrise and wouldn't come out until after dark. And I remember how tough things were. Just to, they, they had a garden that they took care of. They had chickens. They would go hunt for venison. I remember my dad would work uh, uh, as a teacher, but then in, in, this was back in the day before we moved to California when we were in the Dakotas. He would climb those big electrical, those metal electrical poles, and he was running lines, electricity into people's houses. He, 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 he did not just his job, but he went beyond that to take care of us and to provide for us. And we've lost that toughness. To some of us, anyway, have lost that toughness as men. Uh, we want the state to take care of us. You know, the nanny state, I don't know. I would just say the, the, the degree to which you say you take care of me is the degree to which you lose your freedom. And God made men stronger and bigger than that, you know, to, to be the men that provide and take care of their family, take care of their kuleana. Yeah, I was just able uh, over Thanksgiving to go back and visit uh, my grandfather's farm, uh, where which he operated while also working for the Forest Service. <laughs> you know, I mean, it was yeah. uh, it was yeah. a lot, and the fact that that that's still there and still available for us to go down to to be on, and 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 he's still running it to some extent. You know, not like he used to be able to, but you know, extending this concept of you know, as I was reading through 
this idea of letting other people take care of stuff for us. I think that on some level we get this in the concept of our marriage and our need to step up there. I think we get it in the concept of our fatherhood or grandfatherhood to step up there. But the idea of just letting somebody else take care of it instead of taking care of what's sort of our responsibility and a part of us, I think this extends to our parishes too, Barrett. Because, you know, who are the what's the most uninvolved demographic in most parishes? It's the dudes, right? Who kind of like show up and just sort of expect the parish to be there and take care of itself and kind of like sit on a lump on a log, you know, like through mass and then turn around and go back to the car. I, I think that we can forget that that's part of something that has been trusted to us too. that parish and that community that surrounds that parish. We ought to be the ones stepping up and saying we're going to be taking charge at the St. Vincent de Paul Society. We're going to be charged of fa- making sure the people come to us in need as a parish that we're sta- standing up and stepping up. That's so cool. You know, thank God for our Knights of Columbus, too, you know. But and I'll say one more thing, you know. I'm a CPA, although I don't do, do much of that anymore. But uh, uh, I, I, I would just tell you like it is, Matt, when it comes to tithing, I don't think, I think that's a misused word among Catholics. There's very few people that do. And we tend to throw tip money in the jar instead of, you know, in the collection plate, instead of truly, like my dad used to say, he was a Catholic deacon. He used to say, don't give until it hurts, give until it feels good. You know, um, and so that area too, that realm too of Kuliana is taking care. I remember when I was young, that where I lived, the, there was these group of men called the Padres. Now this is when I was in California. I lived in a little area called Coralitas, a little bit of ranch country up uh, near the ocean of Santa Cruz. And they would take care. They would raise money by having a pancake breakfast, and they'd make sure that there was a, you know, baseball gloves and some some baseball, uh, you know. Um, you know, bases for us to take out of the old sandlot and use as kids. It was just like the men came together, and they did what had to be done. And and we need that to the degree that you lose the sense of your own personal kuleana, you really lose the sense of who you are as a man, who you are as a person. You lose your personhood. Um, uh, um, you know, Pope Benedict wrote about the dignity of work, how it makes us like God. And Jesus said, even now, the Father and I, we work. So not to be slothful and not to always find the, the easy way and not expect someone else to do it, um, but to work hard. Uh, I, I know Elon Musk said that in a company, 20% of the people are the ones doing all the work. Well, we want to be among that 20% of the people that are diligent, who are doing all the work is onto the Lord and onto God and not as onto man, because from him comes our reward, the Bible says. That's a scripture my mom framed and gave to me when I started my career. So we need our men to toughen up. We need our men to say, "I'm going to do. I'm going to do what I'm going to. I'm going to do what needs to be done, and then something." Yeah, you know, I'm just thinking to you know back in the evangelical churches I grew up, uh, and and of course some of these were in the in the Bible Belt and more rural areas. But you know, I've been in parishes where the pastor is sweating over the budget, like, "Well, when it snows, we're going to have to pay a couple thousand dollars to this service to come plow the parking lot." And I'm thinking. Man, that was always like Bob, you know, from whatever, who's got a <laughs> a truck right. with a thing on the front of Like, these are the little things. Like, if we really saw this parish, right, or saw this community as, like, right. not just something we went to to get something from, but, like, our place, like, that we have a responsibility and a custody of, I wonder how we would—I wonder how our parishes might look a little different. Yeah, we were up in Montana doing that speaking tour a couple weeks ago, and my wife said, what is that truck there? What's that thing in the front of the truck? 
that, that pickup, that you know, like a Ford F one fifty pickup, like a person's pickup, not a company truck. So, oh, that's a snowplow. Everybody around here is kind of a lot of the guys have a snowplow on the truck because when the snow comes, they just go around and plow out the the local highway. They don't, you know, the local road. They don't expect the city to come, and they they plow out each other's driveways, and they just it's it's a sense of community. They care of each other. So, yeah, we need we we need to become. Uh, self-reliant and then have a have a, a connect a connection with those that are close to us you know for example in the church itself and do the extra thing do the extra thing and uh, in doing that you really find out you really become more of the human that God's created you to be you really find yourself I don't know I would call it fulfillment you know you, yeah. you're there's a person that that you you uh, you experience your own personhood when you do work and you do it uh, and you, and you go beyond, beyond. And, uh, like I know Jake down at the butcher shop when I was a kid, he would always put that, that two pounds of meat on and then he would add a little bit more, you know, mm. but to only charge you for two pounds, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That extra, extra skin in the game as it were. <laughs> there was, yeah. we've got your book, uh, 12 rules for manliness. Where have all the cowboys gone? Uh, linked at sunrise morningshow.com. Hopefully some men inspired to, uh, to maybe, figure out what God has trusted them with and how they can get a little bit more involved in uh, in taking better care of that, whatever that is. Bear, have a great yeah. day. We'll talk to you soon. Okay, my brother. Aloha. All right. Up next, Sean McAfee's got a new book, Compendium of Sacramentals. Looking forward to digging into that. It is quarter till. I have been a school sister of Notre Dame for 72 years. Most senior Catholic sisters, brothers, and religious order priests serve for years with little pay. I always taught the primary grades, and I loved it. Today, hundreds of religious communities lack retirement funds. Your gift to the Retirement Fund for Religious helps provide medications and care. Please give to those who have given a lifetime. Thank you, and God bless you a hundredfold. Donate at your local parish. Central Fabricators is proud to support the Sunrise Morning Show, where you'll get news from the Catholic perspective while keeping you up to date on what's happening in the Vatican as well. It's also a great way to keep in touch with the Catholic faith throughout the week. Central Fabricators, based in Cincinnati, Ohio, is a family-owned business for over 75 years, manufacturing and repairing corrosion-resistant storage tanks, reactors, and pressure vessels. On the web at centralfabricators.com. That's centralfabricators.com. Are you expecting the kids to wake you up at the crack of dawn on Christmas morning? Make that experience more bearable by treating yourself to some Mystic Monk coffee. They have a number of Christmas blends available, and when you go to Mystic Monk Coffee through the link at sunrisemorningshow.com, you earn us a commission. Make Christmas morning even better by drinking your coffee with a Sunrise Morning Show mug, available in our online store. Browse our mugs and link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. That's sunrisemorningshow.com. Hi friends, Janet Williams here. Join me every Wednesday on Women of Grace Live as I welcome new age researcher and blogger for Women of Grace, Sue Brinkman. Sue and I will be talking about all the wacky things that could distract you from your faith. Psychics, yoga, Reiki, crystals, acupuncture, Ouija boards, tarot cards, and astral traveling are just a few of the stranger things we discuss. That's why we call it Wacky Wednesday. So join us at 11 a.m. Eastern on EWTN Radio. The most original and exclusive Catholic content is on EWTN Radio. 
One time, somebody said to me, why don't you air these people? And I said, no, because I don't think they're Catholic. He says, by what right do you have to say that? I said, I own the network. <laughs> Mother Angelica Live Classics. Every morning, 2 Eastern, on EWTN Radio. It's 11 till. Thanks for joining us on the Sunrise Morning Show. I'm Matt Swaim, joined now by Sean McAfee, who's got a number of books out, but his latest is called Compendium of Sacramentals, and it is, it weighs about six pounds, and it is full of full-color illustrations and photographs and lots of great information on how Catholics understand sacramentals. Sean, good morning. Good morning, and, and by the way, I think you're right. This is the first book where I think the uh, the listing actually talks about the weight. Well, there you go. So uh, now you know. You need to know that for when you get a, a box of them shipped to your parish, as many parishes should, because this has a, a whole bunch of responses to questions that people get asked all the time about Catholic sacramentals. I'm going to start with one out of the gates. What's the difference for someone who is just tuning in between a sacrament and a sacramental? Right, and I, hopefully I can lay this out easily, because we can get into high theology on this, but sacramentals, the seven sacramentals established by Jesus Christ and administered by the Church, are efficacious. They always have an effect, so long as the, the receiver is properly disposed and the administrator has the power to do it. So um, sacramentals, they have no direct effect. Um, they dispose the believer to go and receive the sacramentals. All right, so... A sacrament is an efficacious sign that conveys grace. A sacramental points you towards the sacraments in some way, which is why we could talk about rosaries and the Angelus and even the sign of the cross as sacramentals. Uh, so how do you break this up? Because, I mean, you talk about um, sacramental signs, but also sacramental objects. I mean, how do you make those distinctions through the course of the book? Yep, and sacramental gestures like bowing and, and even making the sign of the cross is a gesture. Actually, it's like a triple sacramental because it's a blessing, it's a, it's a gesture, and, um, and actually in some cases it can be like an exorcism when performed by the right kind of priest. Um, but I, I break them up just as the Church breaks them up, so there are, uh, first of all, blessings, that's the first category of sacramentals, and then exorcisms, which I spend maybe a few pages on because we, we don't need to be experts on exorcisms, so it's more for clergy and bishops. Um, and then, of course, devotions and popular signs of, of devotion. So like you said, the physical sacramentals, all the way from medallions to these little wax discs that nobody's ever heard of called the Agnus Dei, and then, of course, devotions like to the Sacred Heart or, or to the Immaculate Heart of Mary. Okay, so people think that Catholics are weirdos for being into this <laughs> stuff, but I just want to clear some, some, some air on this and get your thought on it. Uh, so first of all, uh, as an evangelical Protestant, I don't know if you ever heard this before you became Catholic, but I had an associate pastor who was uh, a, a very old Nazarene man, and he used to say, don't you ever set any book or coffee cup or anything on top of your Bible. <laughs> as a right. way of saying, you know, it matters. It's not just God's Word, but the book that it's in has some sort of holiness and value to it. Do you think that even Protestants, if they hear this explained, can sort of understand it a little bit? I think that I'm right on with you. Um, I don't believe that Protestants don't have uh, some concept of sacramentals. They wear crosses. 
they have their own my, even i have some from before my conversion just little medallions that you know would be like say, you know holy spirit or something um and of course they they treat their of course their bibles like a sacramental which is you know somewhat familiar to us um and they have devotions so and of course they have blessings so of course they have some notion of it now what the church says what the catholic church says about sacramentals is that we believe that they take their um they take their their power from the intercession of the church which is something you won't hear in any protestant circle um but that would be kind of the main difference but yes i i acknowledge and i concur with what you're saying all right now i'm going to go to the secular stuff because i think <laughs> secular people can understand this sometimes even better than protestants because you're a military man right yes uh, how would things go if you treated the American flag like a bedspread? Yeah, exactly. The Church gives us specific directives on how to treat sacramentals. You know, these are not ordinary objects. First of all, most of them are blessed. You know, we should always have our sacramentals blessed, especially the physical ones. Um, and we shouldn't, they become objects almost of consecration. Some of them are consecrated, like a chalice is a sacramental, or certain liturgical items are sacramentals, and we shouldn't treat those just as ordinary objects. And, uh, you know, what we're talking about here is not just their daily care, but even if they fall into disuse, there's a proper way to dispose of them. Yeah, there is, and uh, you mentioned that's by burying or burning. Uh, also, uh, and, and I always forget this part, not just as a way of disposing of them, but you know, if some you, you don't want these things to fall into the wrong hands, right? Right, right. So we want to treat them. We want to treat them as the church says, according to the dignity of their purpose and and objective use. So yeah, you said burning and um, and uh, burying them. So we treat them just like we would, like let's say holy water. Now we don't burn holy water, but we might we'll drain it into the ground, put it right back in the earth. All right, I want to talk about relics a little bit because you cover uh, them in the first uh, sort of section of your book. Uh, and this is another one that I think that a lot of people who are not Catholic can story, sort of get their hands around a little bit also. Uh, so recently I was down at uh, Thomas Jefferson's estate, which has been sort of well-preserved. But it was, and when he died, he died in like massive death. They sold the whole thing out. A private group came in and has sort of restored it and kept it up and that sort of thing. And we went through the tour, and there were all these different places where they showed us the inside of his house, and uh, he'd point to something like a, a clock or a bed or a chair, and he's like, now this isn't the original chair. Oh, this is a recreation of the chair. And you could just see people like, oh, man, well, that's a bummer. Like, <laughs> like people mm -hmm. were disappointed that it wasn't the actual thing that the actual guy had sat on. Right. I think that like, is a little bit of a clue into at least how we think about relics as Catholics. Yeah, well, first of all, I mean, relics, when you talk about the first-class relics, which are, you know, the, the actual body parts of a holy person that the Church has declared and canonized as a saint in heaven, um, we're talking about more than just sentimentality. You know, this this is goes all the way back to Elisha's bones that he um, resurrected a man with in the Old Testament. Um, the, the, these are... Right, so the Holy Spirit is supposed to be inside every person, and the level of sanctification will, of course, you know, uh, be telling of the holiness of their temple. Um, so even after death, we believe that these relics of the of the saints have some sort of power. Now we can't really put a 
a great definition on it, um, and they're not always efficacious, but we believe that they were, were once the home and temple of the Holy Spirit. So we treat them um, greater than we do the telephone of Thomas Jefferson. We, we treat them um, as if they are in heaven and as if they are inter- intercessing um, with and through their temple that they lived with here on earth. We've got the Compendium of Sacramentals, which is a beautiful book. It'd be great to have just handy in your parish library. It's linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Sean McAfee, thank you for putting this together. This is great stuff. I appreciate it. Thanks for the compliments. Again, you can find Sean's book, Compendium of Sacramentals, and all the stuff that all our guests have done at sunrisemorningshow.com. We'll talk to you tomorrow. May God bless you and keep you and grant you his peace.